0: 2013, New York City narcotics agents announced uh, a very unusual indictment for five gentlemen. So these indictments are commonplace in New York, as you can imagine. Uh, Drugs and narcotics and arrests and indictments and court and jail and so on and so on. But this one, this one stood out. Because the members of this drug ring were actually Sabbath observers. So this was called the Sabbath observant observant drug ring. So yeah, these guys, even though they could care less that the the narcotics that they were peddling is going to hurt people and harm people and, and cause some serious addictions and they could care less about the laws of New York City and really the, the federal government as well. They, they observed scrupulously scrupulously the Sabbath laws. So here's, here's one of their text messages that the police intercepted. It said, we're closing at 7.30, which would be probably 7.30 p.m. on Friday night. And on the dot, so they were very, very meticulous about that. And we will reopen Saturday at 8.15 p.m. So if you need anything, narcotics, drugs, a quick fix, you'll have to do so in 45 minutes. So make sure you're there because we are going to observe the Sabbath. The name of the New York Police Department sting operation that led to the drug bust was titled only after sundown. So I I don't know if New York City cops observed the Sabbath on that day, but those guys were arrested. And you can actually find their photos online. It's a fun-looking bunch right there. But uh, I find it interesting. You know what? After doing illustrations for years, uh, you would think that I wouldn't be surprised at certain things like this. But oh, me of little faith. I see in, in illustrations like this um, certain aspects of humanity that stands out for us. Because when we look at an illustration like this, and when we look at our passage before us today, there's a few things that stand out. Folks, people can practice a religion. They can follow a set of rules. They can look really spiritual on the outside, but they can be so far from God's intention and God's purpose for us. These guys observed the laws of the Sabbath, but they were breaking the laws. They observed the laws outwardly, but inwardly they were practicing wickedness. It's not much different from our passage today. Our passage today, we find a bunch of, in, bunch of individuals who are very good at keeping the Sabbath laws. As a matter of fact, they've made up their own rules to make sure that the real rules are not broken at all. And in aiming at this area, they have completely missed the mark altogether. And what we see here, what in the passage that we're going to look at today, what we see here, and what is going to continue throughout the Gospel of John and what happens even today, is a conflict. A confrontation. And it's a confrontation that you can almost guarantee will happen when the work of God meets up with the work of man. When legalism meets grace. When freedom meets bondage. And when God's work meets our work's righteousness. I broke up this passage today into two types, or two, yeah, two types of religions, or two types of missions, or two types of work, if you will. Uh, the religion or the work of Jesus and the work of God, and the religion of man, and the results and goals of both. And I want us to be asking ourselves this question today which one are we more like? So we're going to look at these two types, and because ultimately we need to identify ourselves with the mission or the work of God. We don't want to identify ourselves with the religion of man. We're going to be looking at these two types today. So the first type in Jesus' religion, Jesus' religion aims to heal, verses one through nine. So follow along, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9a, actually, we're going to break off half of that there. So after these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethsaida, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered. "...waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted." There's a man there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, and he knew that he had already been a long time in that condition... He said to him, Do you wish to get well? The sick man answered, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Immediately, the man became well picked up his pallet, and he began to walk. I'm going to keep checking this because we were having issues with our, our slides today, so hopefully you can see that. So just to set the stage, John sets the stage for us, and, and he tells us uh, certain participants uh, intentionally uh, to kind of set us up for this conflict that is going to happen. So there's a feast. There's not really. It's not really told us what feast it is, Uh, But we know that Jesus has gone up to this feast in Jerusalem. John points out some characters that are over this feast, and these characters are kind of placed central to our text here today. Those characters are the Jews. So we have this feast that's happening in Jerusalem, and Jesus goes up to this feast, and this feast is run by the Jews or the religious leaders of Jesus' day. And if you look at this, this is the, uh, the scale model. I think, Dave, did you see this scale model when you were there? So this is the scale model. You can let me know if I, I mess anything up here regarding this geography and stuff. And, uh, but you can see the southern and northern pool uh, and the pools that they are, he's referring to. Uh, so this is where all of those multitude of sick and lame and withered and dying people would be. And then you can see the relationship. The two towers, that's the Antonio Fortress... Uh, that Herod built in order to protect the worshipers uh, or for riots and stuff like that. And they would have a, a guard that would be stationed there. And then, if you see, there's a little road that kind of winds up down to that little door right there. That is the sheep gate. So you kind of get an idea of where Jesus is right now when you relate. And that, that wall right there is the northern wall to the temple. So, there he is, and it's kind of interesting because it's, it's a feast, and there's a, there's a lot of people around, and these people would be traveling past, you know, walking and coming in, and there's a, there's a crowd that we learn later on that's hanging out with all of these individuals. So, Jesus, I think, attends, intends to go to this feast, but where do we find him first? We don't find Him in the the midst of all the religious individuals. We find Him where? We find Him among this group of lame, withered, sick, and dying. That's where Jesus is, lacking the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, modern society is looking for new and innovative ways to make people more empathetic to make them more compassionate and one of those ways uh, mark zuckerberg whose company sells the oculus vr is vr virtual reality so they're using virtual reality now so that you can you can experience what somebody else is experiencing in order to cultivate empathy and raise awareness to help us see what is happening in different parts of the world and the lives of those individuals. Pretty pretty interesting. Uh, they said by creating an immersive and interact- interactive virtual environment, a VR headset can quite literally put you in someone else's shoes. Text image or video offers only partial views of people's lives. We know that. With VR, he said, you can get inside their head. thats I don't know if I really want to do that, but that's a little scary. And you can get inside their head. It's a high-fidelity simulation, and it's argued that it is going to make us more compassionate, more connected, and ultimately more human. I would argue against that human is compassion, but... In the words of VR artist Chris Milk by lending your eyes and ears of someone, by lending you the eyes and ears of someone who is suffering, this technology helps you to develop a greater sense of responsibility for them. You feel compelled to act. He said it is not merely a technical concept, but it is a moral one. Since it's been released, it has rid the world of crime, disease, addiction, and all forms of prejudice, virtual reality. I'm going to argue against this, and he begins this about saying lacking someone, lacking the Holy Spirit, right? And what is the goal of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Conviction, Conviction. and to conform us to whose image? The image of Jesus Christ. Folks, as we go through this gospel, one of my goals is just that goal, so that all of us become more like who? More like Jesus. And Jesus, and sitting on the eyes of Jesus and getting inside Jesus' head, that is what is going to make us more compassionate. That is what is going to make us more empathetic, And that, my friends, begins the religion of Jesus Christ. His religion, his works, God's works, reaches out to who? The outcasts of this world. These are the people who are left behind. These are the people who are shunned by society. One of my questions as I go through this passage here today, I'm wondering Why isn't anyone else helping these individuals? This is is the feast, right? So there's a lot of people, and I know this is an argument from silence, but really it seems that these, these individuals, the religious leaders, the ones who are supposed to lead people to God, the ones who are supposed to do God's work, are absent. Here you have a multitude of individuals just sitting there, lying there. They're sick, they're helpless, and they're dying. And and we just have Jesus that is ministering to them. Now, I'm not saying no one else is, but I think because of the day that it is, we'll see possibly why no one is helping these individuals. I want us to go back, look so far as we look at the religion of God and the work of God and the mission of Jesus Christ. Who has Jesus been seen around? Is he with the the lofty people of his day? Is he with the, the people who are high up in society? We've seen him talking to the woman at the well, outcast of her society. Now we see him surrounded by these individuals here. And folks, we have to continually ask ourselves the question, are we doing God's work to the people who God is trying to reach? To people like this. Because Jesus later on is going to say, in speaking spiritually, I didn't come for the healthy, right? I didn't come for the righteous. I didn't come for those who are okay. But also, physically, Jesus constantly is seen with those who are destitute, those who don't have anything, those who can't help themselves. You ever play the game, Where's Waldo? Where's Waldo? You ever see the books where you're, you're looking for Waldo? And sometimes Waldo is pretty hard to find. Sometimes it takes, usually I just give up and I put the book away and I'm like, someone else can find Waldo. And, it, you know, it, sometimes it, it takes a lot of work. You don't have that problem with Jesus, do you? We don't have a problem finding where Jesus is. This is where he is. This is where God's work is being done. Yes, he's going to make his way up to the feast. Yes, he's going to be around all those people and celebrate. But there's work to be done first. And this is where he stops. And also that I want us to see here is that he he takes a look at this guy. So now this, and, and regarding the, the angel and the stirring of the pools, whether or not that actually happened, we believe that that was added later on to the text. Uh, we're not quite sure whether it was a, a superstition or not. Uh, the point is, is that they, they would gather around this pool and at certain times or certain seasons, they believed that an angel came down and stirred the waters and then whoever the first person into the water was at that time was healed. So, Jesus fixes his, his, his attention to this one man. I want us to see something else. There was, there was nothing that drew his attention to this man. He didn't look at that man and be like, oh, that man's righteous. Oh, that man looks like he's going to make a good, uh, you know, a good person to work with. What does he do? He just has mercy on him. Jesus knows that he has been in this condition for numerous years, he looks at him, and he asks him a question. And he's referring to his physical well-being, and he says, hey, do you want to be healed? What do we see there? And in comparison with what we're going to see later on with those religious individuals and their laws and their rules, this is God's grace. This is is the religion and the work of God. He comes to people, not who are well, he comes to people who are sick and he reaches out to them in mercy and he says, do you wish to get well? Do you want to get well? Notice that there's, there's no requirements that Jesus puts on this individual in order for him to be physically healed. He doesn't test his faith like some of the other folks, but he reaches out in mercy and grace and he asks them a question. Folks, that's our mission, isn't it? And we do so spiritually. We go to these people who are outcasts, who are hurting, who are lonely, and who have nobody to help them. And we say, hey, do you want to do you wanna get well? I know someone who can help you. I know someone who can heal that brokenness inside of you. And he's the only one who can do it. Again, I gotta ask myself about this this guy. Thirty-eight years. He has been like this. I begin to wonder, who took him? Because he's, he's paralyzed, right? So my, I'm, I'm envisioning this man paralyzed from the waist down. And then what does he do? He, he, he probably crawls, maybe, to try to get to the pool. And then what happens? Someone else steps in front of him. That's, that's messed up, right, to begin with. Where is everybody what, for 38 years, you're telling me those religious individuals, these people who, who represent God, didn't walk by this guy and just say, hey, can I, can I give you a hand? N- nobody asked him for 38 years? And then I look at my own life, and I, I'm wondering, how many times have I avoided people like this, that I know might be suffering. And I can't be bothered with them. And there they remain in that condition. And all I needed to go up to them and ask them and say, hey, do you want to get well? Do you you need help? Because I can help you, but my help is limited. But I know someone who can help you here and now and for all eternity. 38 years, this man is in this condition and he doesn't have a friend. There's no one to help him. There are people like that right now in our community. And they, they're going to stay right there. They're going to stay there till we bring Jesus to them. Till we approach him and ask him. There's no strings attached. The healing that Jesus performs, he's like, you don't need a pool. There's no special baptism that you need to be healed. There's no special rules that you need to follow. I'm going to give you that healing right here, right now. Do you want to get well? Because it's yours if you want it. That's the gospel. That's what we're about. Notice, there's no superstitious pools There's no following certain rules or regulations. There's no coming to church. There's no ceremonies. None of that. He just asks him, do you want to get well? And with the word, he heals him. That's God's work. And as we're going to see later on, that work is done when? Every single day of the week. That work does not stop. And sometimes our special rules and regulations can actually hinder that work from being done, as we're gonna see. His goal is the restoration of humanity. That's his goal, that's his mission. Jesus came to heal us. Jesus came to make us whole. Yes, this man receives a physical healing, and I don't think that this man actually believes in Jesus, but it teaches us that that physical healing represents a greater healing that only, only Jesus Christ can offer, and he offers it, how? He offers it freely to you and me. All of you here today, do you want to be healed spiritually? Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus Christ did all the work. All the work has been done by him. And because the work has been done by him, you and I can be healed. He heals our spiritual health and he heals us from spiritual paralysis. And he heals our relationship, our broken relationship with God the Father. Notice God's recruitment process in this world. Who's who's Jesus been recruiting so far? Is he looking for the people who can do wonderful things for God? Is he looking for the people who have it all together? No. John Piper comments on this. He says, he warns of attempting to do great things for God, and making the gospel out to be like that. He said the difference between Uncle Sam and Jesus Christ is that Uncle Sam won't enlist you unless you are healthy. Jesus Christ won't enlist you unless you are sick. He says, what is God looking for in the world? Is he looking for assistance? Nope. Nope. The gospel is a help-wanted ad. The gospel is not a help-wanted ad. It is a help-available ad. God is not looking for people to work for Him, but for people who will let Him work mightily in and through them. God doesn't need our help. We need His. Jesus heals him, heals him with a word, and then tells him to do something. Pick up your mat. Walk. Which leads us to our next type of religion. Man's religion will only harm. So Jesus' religion aims to heal. Man's religion will only harm, verses 9b through 18. Now, it was the Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it's the Sabbath. It's not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, he who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. They asked him, who's the man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk. The man who was healed did not know who it was for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found them in the temple said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away. He told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them and he said, My father is working until now and I I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Does anyone need water? You guys doing okay? It's hot in here, isn't it? It's getting long and hot. All right, we're going to plow through this. So John sets the stage. What, what's, where's the, what's the key point? Not only is it a feast day, it is what? The Sabbath. And now we see exactly... What is happening here? Because what Jesus does is really, really bad. Bad for the Sabbath, and what this man is doing is really, really bad. Two-year-old Harper Westover lives in Washington, D.C. This is a picture of this little cutie. She's adorable, isn't she? And her parents insist that she's just the tidiest and most polite, and well-behaved toddler in the nation's capital. I believe that. You can look at this kid and be like, "This is a good kid." In August 2016, however, all of that, all of those tidy and well-behaved descriptors, were, were brought into question. You know why? Harper, two-year-old Harper, Stu, received a notice of violation in the mail. Do you know what it was? It was for for littering. Little Harper guilty. She got a $75 fine by the this the solid waste inspector. I'm not sure I want to read that job description, but he had nothing better to do, so he went he was inspecting the, the I don't know, the trash in the alley, and in the alley there was a little envelope and it was from Bucky Buddy's Club, which was a club part of Harper's mother's Harper, Harper's mother's alma mater. So she was joining the Bucky Buddy's Club. And, and he said, that's it, Harper. You broke the law. But I got the evidence right here. Bucky Buddy. Bucky Buddy doesn't lie. You have a $75 fine. I am going to take your allowance for the rest of your life. What are you going to do, Harper? Are you going to cry? Poor little baby Harper. You're guilty. You broke the law. The parents tried to get this taken away, and, eventually, and, and at first they said, no, you're guilty. You're going to have to pay this. And then the public found out about it. Even the newspapers found out about it. And there was news coverage and all this stuff, and eventually they waived the violation. That's nice of them, huh? I mean, what? you wonder what people are doing with their time, where they want to fine $75 to a two-year-old. Kind of reminds you, I know, it's crazy. That's sick. Twisted humanity. Thankfully, people protested against that. And it reminds you kind of of those, you know, remember those cartoons and the stories where you, you had all of these old curmudgeons, and all they wanted to do was, was catch those kids doing something bad. It didn't matter how little it was. It's kind of like these guys here, isn't it? These guys in our story? Here they are. You know, it's funny. If they're not helping those sick individuals, they're just kind of like the police. They're just kind of walking back and forth and be like, yo, dude, what, what are you doing? You got a mat. You're, you're carrying your pallet. Guess what? Guilty. Guilty. You're not allowed to do that. And guess what? This wasn't even a law. So, do you know what these guys did? These guys added laws to protect the true law of the Sabbath. They were called the Melikot. There was 30, a series of 39 laws. And you can read them and look them up. And they're added. So this guy can, and really, what we're going to see here is these, this: these, this man's religion actually is in confrontation with God's work and God's religion and his whole purpose. So, some of these laws, the, the commentator tells, talks about some of these some of these rules that eventually came about. So, a mirror. You know why you couldn't look in a mirror, or why it would be bad to look in a mirror? Because if you have a gray hair, which I don't have to worry about. I just have no, no hair. Patrick, you'd be in trouble. A few of you guys might be in trouble. If you have a gray hair, you might be tempted to pull it out. Some people in here would be bald. Right? So, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, you'd be tempted to pull it out, which would be what? Work. You'd be working. You can't do it, so don't look in the mirror. How about false teeth? You have false teeth, you can't, you can't use them on the Sabbath because if your false teeth fell out, not only does that ruin the meal for you and everyone else, you're going to pick them up and put them back in, work. Now, if you have a, a neckerchief or a scarf, right, you, you can't walk down the stairs holding that scarf because you would be working, but you could Tie, a, tie it around your neck. I think they have other things tied around their neck at this point. But you could tie it around your neck, and you could walk down. And then you can untie it, which wouldn't be work. And I'm thinking it's a little more work to tie something around, and then. And now if, here's a good one. They would argue, They had a discussion about a guy with a wooden leg, and if there was a fire on the Sabbath, what would happen to the? What could the guy actually go and grab his wooden leg? But we're just going to skip over that one. And then there was spitting. So you could actually, you could spit, but you had to make sure that you didn't rub your foot in the spit because you would be cultivating the soil and doing work. This is, these guys have way too much time on their hands, don't they? And we laugh and we chuckle. Let's bring this a little closer home. Human nature makes no distinction between faiths and generations, does it? How about this one? You better not be seen throwing a pigskin around on a Sunday afternoon. Breaking the Sabbath. How about this one? If you're a man in church, you've got to wear that tie. If you're a woman in church, you better not be seen wearing pants. How about... You can't drink. Or not only can you not drink alcohol, you need to, you can't work at a place that sells alcohol. How about, you better not be caught playing cards, and you better not be caught playing cards, drinking, smoking, and dancing all at once. Because then you're really in trouble. People like rules, don't they? People like rules... Because they are somewhat these are hard to follow, but in the same respect, right? What if you're following those rules, if this guy isn't carrying his pallet, he's what? Spiritual. You've got it. You've nailed it. But they're so far away from the heart of it, aren't they? I want us to think about the harm that this, especially this individual, here this guy is, I, I can't wrap my head around it. 38 years this man was paralyzed, 38 years. He's probably skipping past them with their mat, and they're like, whoa, slow down, Joe. You're carrying your pallet. That's wrong. That's a false spiritual guilt that they've just placed on that man, isn't it? And that is exactly what our external man-made rules of righteousness does to people. Oh, I don't care that you've been freed by the blood of Christ. Have Have you read your Bible today? Right? I don't care that you've been saved from a mess of sin and lived a life of sin for 38 years in your life. Do you go to church every Sunday? Do you see what happens? a false sense of guilt. The rules and the law doesn't save us. Jesus came to fulfill the law for us. And we know in Romans, the law is what? By by the law, no human being will be justified. No human being will be righteous what is our righteousness where does our righteousness comes from it comes from the man who healed this paralyzed guy comes from him and through the law comes the knowledge of sin now as i said these weren't even these weren't even rules they took this whole no work thing and jesus is our sabbath rest but the sabbath was given for man it's a gift And they've turned it into man now working for the Sabbath. And using that to gauge the temperature of people's righteousness and spirituality. And folks, we can be in danger of doing the same. Rules and regulations take away from the work of Christ and they point towards man. They point towards me. They create a false sense of guilt, and they create a works righteousness mentality. I have to do X, Y, and Z, and then I feel better about my relationship with God. Not true. It's guilt. Jesus Christ did all the work on the cross. That's why he says it is finished. All your sin, past, present, and future, forgiven. Now there's a work that's done in our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit, to keep us from that sin, right? To, to help us learn to say no to sin, but carrying your palate, not reading your Bible, not coming to church, folks, that's not sin. Let's just be clear. Unless you're not doing those things for a the, the, uh, sinful reason. In Colossians, Paul also says that these, these things have a, 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 an appearance of wisdom, but they're of absolute no value against the flesh. These guys added these rules, and here, if it were up to them, that man would still be crawling to that pool. It's unbelievable. So now they turn their focus off the man, and now, now because the, the palate's one thing, healing on the Sabbath is another thing. And they want the guy who does that. And I want to point something out here that the reason why this happens is Jesus instigates this fight. That's why he told that man, we don't need to know why he told him to pick up his pallet. He told him because he wants them to flaunt that right before all those religious leaders. Look, I'm going to tell you something. We're fighting... So many battles right now. And we're, we're standing ground on so many hills. This is the hill we stand on. This is the hill worth dying for. Grace and legalism. This is it. This is the one fight that Jesus picks. And he picks it intentionally because we know where it leads it actually leads to the fulfillment of the law for us because he gives up his life for us. And he sets us free from that bondage, sets us free from the law, sets us free from man-made rules and regulations that can bring us absolutely nothing but keep us spiritually paralyzed our entire lives. Grace. This, this, This battle we fight Because rules and regulations, they only cover up a wickedness inside of our hearts. And outwardly, we may look real spiritual, but it never, ever gets to the heart of the problem. Listen to what Jesus says to this man. This man comes up to him and Jesus says, hey, you've been healed. Don't sin anymore so that nothing else happens to you. It's the first time sin's mentioned. Jesus is the only one who can get to the heart of the problem. And here we have to make the connection that sometimes, and it's not always made, that sometimes we're physically sick because of harboring sin in our lives. And we're not confessing that sin. But in general, people are ill and sick because sin. We're in a fallen nature. Who's the only one who can get to the heart of the problem? Jesus. Following rules. You think those guys, these guys, all they care about is pallets and not working on the Sabbath. Is that dealing with the heart? Is that dealing with a sin issue? Folks, I know because, i, I got to be honest with you, I grew up in it. My, my entire life, as a young individual, growing up in a system where I walked in to that holy place, dipped my fingers in water, did the sign of a cross, the only thing that could really save me, walked up, made sure that I I did a little kneel before I got into my seat. Went through all the prayers, all the rituals. Went to confession, did my little penance afterwards, and then walked out those doors and was just as wicked as when I walked through them. And I had guys over me the rulers, the ones who made sure I followed all of those laws, the ones who wore special clothes, who stood out among everyone else, the ones who were up there performing all the rituals and all the ceremonies, and one of them that I knew, all the while that he was doing that, he was abusing a fifth grader in private. We don't think rules and man-made righteousness and these things is dangerous. Covers it up. It covers up this, the problem. That problem can only be solved by Jesus because of the work that he did, not the work that we can do. This is, this is the battle we fight. Because legalism, self righteousness, is, is just, it will harm us. It harms others with false guilt, hinders God's work, covers up the real issues, and seeks to persecute others who do not agree. And it gives a false security in our own works. Jesus sets it straight. He says, you guys got it all backwards. My father hasn't stopped working. And because my father's working, I'm working because that's why I'm here. And that's the work that you and I are to engage in. Look at the result of what happens. What happens when Jesus does this and when he is truthful with his mission and who he is? And really, this is the whole of Christianity. The work of God is to bring healing to people through the person of Jesus Christ, who is God incarnate here on earth. That's the only way it happens. It's the only way it happens. It's not rules and regulations. And what happens when that work meets up with man's work? They want to kill him. They want to kill Him. They seek to per- They persecute Him. They chase after Him. They hunt Him down. And they are not satisfied until God is hanging on a cross. But it was that work that sets us free from all those loss. It's amazing. That's why Jesus started this fight to begin with, and it's that ending that sets us free. God is always working, and this is the work that you and I are to engage in as well. From spring evening in May 1998, Christopher Shirsey was playing basketball with a few friends a half-block from Ravenswood Hospital. Three teenage Latino gang members looking for a black target approached and shot young Cersei in the abdomen. His friends frantically carried him to within 30 feet of a hospital. They ran inside for help. Emergency room personnel Refused to go outside to assist the dying boy, citing a policy that only allows them to help those who are inside the hospital. Police officers came and the people who were standing by pled with the officers to bring the boy into the hospital. The officers refused. There he lay unconscious, in a pool of his own blood. After several minutes, when the ambulance did not arrive, the police gave in and carried his body inside. It's too late. Nothing they could do. The rules, the regulations, the policies... Killed this young man. Folks, whose religion are we practicing? Whose whose religion are we adhering to? Is it Jesus's? Seeking to heal us, restore us, having compassion, love and mercy. And grace, or is it man's rules, regulation, harm, leaving us spiritually paralyzed? Father, we're so thankful for your grace. None of us would be here. Lord, and I pray... always for all time until you return that we we continually remind ourselves of that grace lord we know that we are commanded to obey you but even that is by your grace by your help by your holy spirit lord help us to follow What we read today, taking that free gospel to those who are sick, dying, and spiritually paralyzed. Lord, and help us not to add outward signs of spirituality, but realize you are concerned with our hearts. We thank you again for the gift of life that is only found in Jesus. It's in his precious name we pray, amen.